Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we got a special bonus app. Yes, we do. We, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this. We weren't really sure if we were going to have time to do it, but we ended up with way more info on the big cats. Mm -hmm. Lots of cool stuff. Lots of interesting theories, some additional evidence and a few revelations. Um, Mostly thanks to one of our uh, friends and listeners over in Australia there, Aaron. He's yeah, man. A... Thank you so much. He sent us a ton of really cool information. Oh, yeah. He's just been really enthusiastic about this topic. Definitely. So, I mean, and he actually has a copy of Lang and Williams' book, The right. Natural History of Panthers. Right. So that's a huge resource. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we got a couple of articles we're going to touch on, a few things right off the bat here. I think we're going to dive into the Winchelsea DNA results. So. Yeah, this one was kind of, this was cool. Yeah. It yeah. was really cool. And. It all started in the early 1990s. Um, yeah. So this was actually from a Weekly Times journalist, um, Chris McClellan. McClellan. sorry. That's a very Australian I was going to say McClellan. I was like, that's not right. No, close enough. Yeah, no. So it's a very interesting development, I right. would say. Yeah. And it was almost 15 years in the making. So the story begins at the Otway Ranges, um, at a time when the grass was still abundant from spring and farmers well well versed in their craft, yet death was stalking at night. Ominous. Very ominous. Yes. Um, yeah, so that was just a quote from the article there. But it was bizarre, right? So these guys, uh, farmers, right? So they're, they're mostly graziers, I think they're referred to. So okay. like graze sheep right. that type of thing. Maybe they'd be called shepherds. Shepherds? I don't know. No, I saw a term. There's a few different terms <clears throat> out there. Obviously, that would be the most common mm-hmm. one. But it was kind of gross what they were experiencing. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so these were... Many kills were um, experienced over the night. Farmers would find the remains. It was very savage. Things like necks bitten in half, rib cages shredded, um, based calves lying in pools of their own entrails. Which is kind of bizarre because it's like these are almost, they sound like sport kills to me. It does almost sound like that. Or like things like a roo with its head missing. Right. And like in the episode, obviously we mentioned like, you know, livestock being killed and like farmers being some of the most, you know, common people to be sighting big cats and different things like that. But like what stood out to me from this was like the idea it's full grown sheep and full grown cattle. That's, you know, that's difficult to bring down. And then you have these... It's just like, yeah, necks bitten in half, rib cages shredded, as if it's like, yeah, not even interested in really the meat. It's just like the sport of it. Or it's interested in it a little bit, and then it's just a kill. And the thing is, too, like this particular story with this particular grazier, as we're going to call him, because he doesn't have a name, um, he's well experienced with these maulings by dog packs. Okay. And he knew right off the bat that, this was a quote, he knew something was much more lethal ranging his paddocks when the sun went down. So he ended up calling for help. And a lot of farmers wouldn't have done this. A lot of people were hesitant to talk. Um, They were suspicious that there could be some big cat, something like that in the area. But essentially, they're scared of being called a loony. So the article goes. And what this guy ended up doing is he called in an expert. He called in the Department of Natural Resources and Environment in Geelong. And there was a wildlife expert there, David Cass, who took up the case for him. And Cass, obviously well-experienced with these sorts of, you know, like, dead animals, carcasses, kind of trying to uncover what happened, all this kind of stuff. But he was taken aback by this. Like, this is a quote from Cass here. He says, 
this was right after he'd seen his first sort of um, body. Right. He said, it was just peeled open. The force that was applied just staggered me. It was bizarre. The landowner was no dummy and he was a good bushman. So I took what he said seriously. He goes on to say that, yeah, again, like the people were hesitant to talk. And it was actually interesting because, okay, so this is like 1991 was when he was called into the case. And he actually ended up finding at one of the maulings uh, an unusual scat. So it was distinct in size, color, and smell. It was very pungent, like we've seen described before, right? Yeah, for those big guys. So something, exactly, yeah, something that was meant to mark the appearance. You know what I mean? Like they're not trying to hide it. Uh, so again, yeah, so he actually took this scat to Barbara Triggs, who was the leading expert in animal, animalizing, <laughs> uh-huh. analyzing uh, animal scat in Australia. And so she actually did a comparative analysis and she asked for a sample from a known zoo leopard so that she could compare the two. Okay. And in the unknown specimen, there were four hairs extracted that were presumed to have been swallowed by the beast, um, when he was grooming himself. Okay. Yes, and so her findings were very, very interesting. She said, this is a quote, there, is, there was a possibility that the Winchelsea feces were from a big cat, such as a black leopard. Hmm. Huh, well, that is, I mean, such hmm. as a black leopard. Such as a black leopard, because obviously the hairs were black. Right. And comparatively to the zoo leopard, obviously, yeah, very comparable. So, okay, she did consider her own analysis non-conclusive, and this was in the 1990s, so we didn't have the DNA um, testing wasn't capabilities. Exactly the same, yeah. Exactly. Sure. So she was just kind of going through, like, a, yeah, her own sort of preliminaries. Other experts did offer up opinions that were very similar to Triggs, um, and essentially there was no conclusion, so they were stored away until the 2000s. Hmm. All right, so this is where it gets interesting. Um so yeah, we're into the 2000s now, so it's been over a decade. Uh, Dr. Steven Frankenberg, he works for the La Trobe University in the Department of Zoology. So this is in Melbourne. Okay. And he did some DNA testing. So Ooh. what did he find? Yeah. He said it was a sample of Panthera pardus, a leopard. Crazy. Yes. And obviously, like, being a professional, he did... He did, sorry, he did, uh, he said that there could have been a risk of contamination of the sample before the hairs had reached him, and he did refuse to be drawn into saying that the result is 100% accurate. So that's the classic skeptical, skeptical scientist, you know, they're taking the... Well, it's just the, covering his bases. Well, He's exactly, yeah. It's almost like a, it's just the veneer of professionalism that a lot of people will take in the field, right? right. Even in academics, we've seen that so much, right? But it's like, how would something even be contaminated where it would produce a result like that you know what i mean like it's thing that i could say to argue for that would be that the initial tests and the initial samples could have been mixed up so the known leopard sample could have accidentally made its way into the unknown sample that is the only thing that would make sense though because otherwise it's like you're not going to contaminate a sample of what is what is a very rare species or something like that it would have to be someone's blunder you know what i mean and i I don't want to even go there because i feel like 
these people are professionals, right? Like, this woman, Triggs, like, she was the leading expert in studying animal scats. Yeah. So I don't want to really discredit her and say that, you know, like, oh, like, you know, she could have just switched the bags accidentally or something, or you know what I mean, or one of her assistants or whoever else working No, they're just throwing it out there as a possibility, but... That's it, yeah, exactly. But it's like, this this matches up with, like, what we talked about in the full-length episode um, with uh, the one documentary where they sent multiple scat samples in, and then they did, like, a blind sample as well where they didn't where they actually yeah did the same thing went and got a sample from a zoo sent it and then it came still came back as dog or whatever it came back as right like that's obviously a different lab yeah exactly totally different lab which is why i was happy that we came across this and like aaron sent sent this over because yeah it adds a ton of legitimacy it does yeah in my opinion because you do get the anecdotal evidence right of the farmers and the grazers and whatever and then you get obviously the carcasses the dead bodies that's more evidence piling up and then you get expert analysis and this is what they're saying so why would we you know what i mean like i don't want to i'm not taking i'm not taking the skeptics point of view on this one no no but yeah no so this dr frankenberg he actually agreed with the state's decision not to invest heavily into further research on the existence of big cats i'm not sure why he said that maybe he was just like you know it's politics of the day or maybe he just really genuinely thought that you know even if we do uncover more evidence like what are we really going to do about it kind of thing because they're Mm -hmm. already unable to take care of the feral cat problem supposedly Yeah, exactly right but he did say here so this is a quote from him he said i do think it would be worth keeping an official open mind and establishing a system for properly analyzing evidence that might arise opportunistically in the future yeah. Well, that's positive anyway. Yeah, and this was actually referenced by Lang and Williams in their book, uh, The Big Cats and Natural History of Panthers, but essentially okay. they were asked to keep the names involved anonymous because of uh, it was kind of ongoing and inconclusive, and they just didn't really have the authority to put those names in there, but apparently right. it was referenced. So that's another one. If only we had that book, eh? Good thing Aaron does. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> well, it's tough when you do a weekly show to always be able to read a full book. Well, if it's not um, an ebook too, and we have to order it. Well, then... exactly, exactly. Yeah, if it's an ebook, we usually will buy it. And, and we're def- giving we're giving away how little we plan. <laughs> well, no, it's obviously more than a week ahead, but it's like some it's of tough, them. Yeah, it's some tough of them are to the do. It's tough months. to do. Uh, yeah, it's tough to do. Like even two to three weeks, like when you're reading, working, and doing everything else, reading a full book. Yeah. So it's nice when we have people like anyone else listening. Whenever we cover a subject, if you feel like you know, like, yeah, if you have extra info, yeah. reach out. Additional resources, it. articles, anything, books. Totally. Like, we love to hear all this stuff. Absolutely. Like, we don't know everything, obviously. Like, no. we're, we're trying to find out more every day, and that's we're why we do this to... show, because it's so much fun. Well, exactly. And we're trying to bring to light stories that would otherwise stay on dusty shelves yeah, and, and just in dark corners of the internet. And keep and the wherever. conversation going. That's all it is, is a conversation. We yeah. want to, and we want other people to be a part of it, too. Exactly. Yeah. So that kind of wrapped up the article from, from on this particular revelation. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, really cool. I, mean, I think that's that lends a lot of legitimacy well, and a lot of weight to it's it. It's nice that we have some actual, I mean, not that we didn't before, but yeah, just a few extra names, yeah, to throw behind it, right? Like mm-hmm. actual people in the field. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, um, the next sort of... Uh, the next sort of thing here that we had brought to our attention, we actually sort of came across it in research, but... You you pulled this up, so why don't you in- intro it didn't, this? And, it didn't really make it into the episode. No, it didn't quite make it in. I mean, we touched on it. Essentially, it is referencing the Queensland tiger. Mm-hmm. So. So this is the 1964 Rila Martin's photo. Yes. And we will include references so you can guys go look at the actual photo um, because it's quite uh, controversial. And because it was taken with a box brownie camera, it's 
not a high quality shot by any means. And a lot of people use that to either support the fact that it is legitimate or support the fact that it would be very easy to stage. Yeah. Yeah. And like one of the things that, you know, like when we had, when we brought this up again and looked at it, I was like, oh, I think that's why it ended up getting sort of left out of the full length episode. Not, not because it wasn't worth mentioning, but just because I came across a lot of things saying that it was a hoax or Mm -hmm. phony or whatever. But Again, those are all, I mean, most of those references were from, not from necessarily peer-reviewed sources or anything like that. They're Mm -hmm. just from a lot of the similar sources you find online when you're researching cryptic creatures. Everyone has an opinion, right? Yeah. So it is very, it's still divided. It is. But, yeah. Okay. So it was taken in Goroke, Western, West Australia. Depicts an unknown cat-like striped animal. Could be marsupial in nature. Yeah, you guys got to go take a look at this. It is weird. It is. It's it's very, yeah. And it's so it's big. It's big, though. I mean, the, the, well, the object itself. It, but it's from a distance. Some people will say that because it's, yeah, taken from a distance, because it's in the forest, um, there could have been tricks of the light, like dappling. Um, there also could have been, it could have been literally, like some people say, it's just stumps and rocks and the angle and the lighting and maybe some manipulation could have made it look like an animal that was running. I think that's a stretch personally, um, similar to the way that Joe Nichols owl theory is a bit of a stretch. (laughs) I I mean, I I always end up thinking of exactly that example, right? right? To to try to be more descriptive for people listening of this, essentially it is like you can see Oh, here. I actually have a description of the photo Perfect. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Do you? you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it shows what looks like a large quadrupedal predator with a long tail, deep chest, tall shoulders, and a rather deep head. The photo really isn't that bad, but foliage that overlaps the head makes it difficult to work out what the head shape really is. Uh, So incidentally, this is actually a quote from the article. Incidentally, the original photograph has been lost by the offices of the Wimmera Mail Times. So all the versions you see and elsewhere are scans of copies published by newspapers. So there's no way of reanalyzing the original photograph. No. So there's no way of, no, there's con- no negatives. of there's conclusively no saying if it was fo- a hoax or not, because any of the additional copies could be edited or mm-hmm. doctored or whatever. Yeah. There is one um, version of it from a book from the 1980s that I think is like the one that she or she, he or she, whoever wrote the article references is like the most like, you know, um, the most formed, the most um, complete um photograph that we have of right. this copy of it. Yeah. So a lot of people think that this depicts a thylacine. Yes. So it's like a thylacine, like we covered before. It's a carnivorous marsupial, supposedly went extinct in the early 20th century, like in captivity. Yeah. Supposedly it went extinct a long time before that in the wild. Like yeah. I saw quotes well, where like, oh, 3,000 years ago it went extinct. I was like, Oh, uh, well, it's, a, and of course people think it's still out there. So it's well, really exactly. extinct. But I mean, yeah, no, the, re- the re- reports were that it essentially, like if you go to Wikipedia, it'll tell you that it was already dying off in very low numbers before British colonization. And then post-colonization, they died off quite quickly because mm-hmm. of farmers and stuff. And then, yeah, there were some in captivity. The last one was photographed and filmed in 36, 37, I believe. And, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it died in captivity. That in was in yeah, and and you know what? It had died because of exposure. It died because of poor, poor. Nobody was looking after it properly. This is the thirties. Yeah, it was stupid. What? Apparently. 
I don't know how true that is, but I mean, definitely when you watch the video, it doesn't look like a very, uh, Man, very well kept. If you're freaking keeping these things in captivity, why don't you just do it right? Now I'm going to make another <laughs> distinction. I know, right? right? I know. It's terrible. <laughs> so I'm going to make a distinction again between the Tasmanian tiger and the Queensland tiger in a oh. second when we, when we get through this part here, mm-hmm. but just to point this out again, because it's like this photo, people who are advocates that the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger, the much more dog-like carnif- carnivorous marsupial. Sorry, the Tasmanian is the dog-like one? Yeah, is okay. much more dog-like. Some people think that this photo is that. Other people think it looks more like the Queensland tiger, which is a cryptid creature not known to officially exist and okay. is a presumed descendant of the thylacolio, ancient <sighs> species of marsupial that is also related to the thylacine. <laughs> Just they're to all in this, yeah, they're all in the same, and I'm going to give an explanation of that in a second, but just to okay. just to be clear. So let's get the story from Rila Martin. Let's hear it. Yeah. So supposedly, she was on holiday in 1964, and she was driving along between Garok and Apsley. With, this is the quote from the article. With time to spare, she chose to drive along the dirt track near Ozenkadnok. Cadnook. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ozen Cadnook. <laughs> she had been photographing relatives while at Gorok, where her cousin lived, and had her camera next to her on the front seat. In the woods, close to the road, she caught sight of an unusual animal standing at the edge of the scrub. She stopped the car and snapped one photo just as the animal began to run away. And okay. that okay. was basically how she went. So. Yeah. See, she, that's... Ooh, but you know what's interesting, too? Like, Martin's... Okay, so the head is obscured in the photograph. It yes. literally looks like it's a headless thing. It does. Or it's got the tiniest little head in the whole world. But she says how when she actually saw the creature, it had a pig-like snout. Pig-like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And the other interesting thing that she said was that at the time that she snapped the photo, she didn't actually notice any stripes that appear really predominantly in the photo, right? On the back head back end of yeah, the Yeah, which is obviously like the thylacine and the yeah, yeah. the tiger stripes, right? Exactly. Um but yeah, so because of that, some people have sort of supposed that again, like I said, the dappling. So it could have been a trick of the light coming through the trees in the forest. Oh, like a shadowing effect. Exactly. Okay. So like branches and then you get like some like that We've can seen happen that. very We've, I've easily. Seen that. Mm-hmm. Lots of people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So okay. that is very likely that that could have been the case. So therefore, hmm. like where does that leave us then? Is it a fox? You know what I mean? Wow, like, but it's obviously bigger than that. And it actually had like more muscle and a little bit more and definition. And she saw it move. That's that's a big that's important right she saw it actually physically move if you're gonna believe her story right because there is some people that (laughs) they don't believe it at all um there's some people that will say that no 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 this clearly depicts a three-dimensional animal with muscles etc that type of thing and is not a cutout and there was actually abc news they tried to recreate the photo using a cutout and yeah, so they tested the theory, they planted it in the woods and tried to photograph it. And it was just brutally obvious that it was right. a fake. And right. I, I don't know if they're using a box brownie camera though. So who knows? Well, that would be a terrible study if you're using a modern camera and trying to, <laughs> trying to recreate Oh, look it. how obvious it is. Like, I know. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what hmm. to believe really. Okay. Cause there's some people that will say that like this one non-believer, I'm just going to quote them here because... They just, they go into it. They, yeah. Let's hear so they it. say, um, it's a scam photo and a piss poor amateur job at that. 
By deliberately underlighting and shifting focus, the object, which is a partially decomposed carcass with broad stripes painted at the wrong end, the photographer produced a vague image that can't be readily scrutinized. She trotted it to the local news rag who paid her for the photo and then it was shopped around as evidence of the famed Tasmanian tiger. Um, and then they go on to say, it's one of hundreds of attempts to produce a photographic evidence of a large cat in Australia. Many photos taken since show large feral cats roaming in the bush, mistaken as the long-lost Pleistocene big cats. Um, at least these objects in question look alive and cat-like and still have <laughs> limbs and heads. Uh, and she says, this one, or he, sorry, I don't know who it was. Uh, it says here, this one looks like a poorly made replica, a brownie Hawkeye box camera, which I happen to own as a kid, would give you a blurred image of a running animal. The brush in the midsection covers the support used to prop it up, which isn't quite covered. Oops. So they're they're just um, referencing, there's this one underneath the belly of right. the creature. There's like this little like limb-like thing coming out. And it's really, really hard to see really. But they're, yeah, they use that. Hmm. As reference, okay. Um, well, fair to enough. Sort of support uh, that. Fair enough, because like I can see that, but it's like that could easily be a stick. It could be anything. It could anything, be anything in that photo yeah. could be anything. And they even said at one point in the article, which was written by um, Darren Nash, Nash, um, he says that it, it it looks striped too. So is that again the light? Is that the actual creature hmm. itself? Is hmm. it a creature at all? Is right. it just? This comes down to, again, like, it would take, again, more time, but you have to look into, I mean, we didn't, I mean, who, who is Rila Martin? What's her background? What, That's what, a good what question. Is, what is her background? I like don't from? actually know, but apparently they're kind of bush people. Like, this was a quote from John Martin, her brother, who stated in 1999 that the photo was no hoax and responding to suggestions that the photo manip that the photo manipulation of some sort might have been involved, he stated that we country kids hardly knew how to take a photo, let alone fiddle with it. Right. So that was actually taken from Lang and Williams' book. Huh. Yeah. You know, the, like, I obviously think, like, people people will hoax things and people will put up two-dimensional thing, copies of whatever, Sasquatches mm-hmm. or whatever. And then people blame them. They're like, well, the people that, you know, go straight to the press, they're like, oh, it's obviously fake. But it's right. like, what if they are just trying to bring public awareness? Well, that's just it. It's like you it's always the debate between like yeah like or it's always got to be monetary gain really like mm-hmm. it's like why would anybody go to the effort and like either for monetary gain or pub just publicity or whatever yeah you have to look at the character and see if yeah right but it's like yeah like the brothers quote there i mean i don't know i'm sort of on the fence about this one but i don't think that that photo looks outright like a hoax it just looks very strange you know what I mean? It does. But it, yeah. it, it just, it keeps the conversation going photos like that. And it's, uh, because it is so obscure, right? If mm-hmm. it was, if it was so perfect, like that's the other thing too. If this is a person who's, you know, has a half a brain cell at all and is trying to hoax something, is that their angle? Like, are they trying to make it? So it's, it's, you know, so obscure to the point where you can't really say one way or the other. And that's their sort of like, that's, that's the hoax, mm-hmm. right? Like you'd think the hoax would be fine. Two dimensional cutout, got some stripes on the butt and we put it at a distance where it looks, where it looks kind of like this. And it looks kind of like, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause we have seen hoaxed photos of, um, the black pan, black cats. Yeah. And they're clear. And yeah, like you, you go through the analysis and it's like clearly just a two dimensional cutout, but it looks like a cat. Like it looks definitively like a cat. Yeah. 
So it's sort of weird. It, it's a weird thing to suggest. Like, why would you hoax something that so is clearly poorly. well that and and that no one's ever really heard of? Like, are you really like from nineteen sixty four? I guess I don't know. People heard about. Well, people had like heard that. about it, but it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking at another. This is from Scientific American blog, and it's just going into again. Like, oh, here's Darren Nash. Oh yeah, sorry. This is Darren Nash. It's another article by him. But he's just going off more on the whole hoax tidbit there. But I don't really see much here. Hmm. Like, it's just... Just more of the same kind of stuff. Yeah. So, essentially, though, like, people thought that this was either a thylacine or, if you're a little bit more to the cryptozoology realm, the the uh, te- or Queensland tiger. Essentially, mm-hmm. a, a ancient species of marsupial that would have been the ancestor of the thylacine that had still managed to survive somehow and i found out a few more cool things and aaron pointed this out it's not anything too too crazy and um, we may have kind of loosely touched on it at the beginning but um, let's just clear that up (laughs) anyway so (laughs) yeah but aaron sent this over and we just want to say thank you again so shout out to aaron um but he reminded me about this and i kind of forgot but the thylacolio Okay, so this was the ancient marsupial cat, the marsupial lion. Okay. Just to be clear, they're not lions, right? Like, it's not cats. No. And actually, what I found out, which was kind of funny, from the Bunyip episode, we were dealing with the diprotodon, those giant, Ooh, yeah. uh, essentially almost, they're ground marsupials. It looks like a, a bear sloth. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. These animals, the thylacolio, the thylacine, all these marsupial predators are all under the same umbrella as the diprotodon in the genus called... Diprotodon. Oh Diprotodon is. Dipro- di- <laughs> it sounds like I'm just trying <laughs> to say diapers. <laughs> Diprotodontia. Anyway. <laughs> just Brutal. The diapers, you know, really. Brutal. But anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah. Diprotodontia. Diprotodontia. <laughs> nice First job. Try. Nice job. Boom. So that was interesting just because it tied into the Bunyip episode and they're all in the same marsupial realm. So like mm-hmm. the modern descendants are kangaroos, wombats, wallabies, these types of animals, right? Hmm. But what was interesting too was like the thylacolio was had multiples of it. There wasn't just one kind. So if you're talking oh. about the idea of it surviving into modern times, there was more than one and they were different sizes. They lived in sort of different oh. areas. They did different things. So the thylacolio uh, carnifex is the biggest one. That's the marsupial lion. That was the largest. I think it was like up to 190 kilograms or something. Like big, big marsupial cat that would attack its prey from behind and shred it with its powerful claws. And then it had a jaw basically unmatched in Uh Australia and would crush anything that it caught. That's so cool. But... There's a whole mass of these animals. Yeah. And even in that photo... Or sorry, in the um, Rila Martin's article... Like, they have this drawing depiction of exactly that, like a giant bear sloth. Okay. They have, like, here, like, the whole, that whole thing there. Sorry, I just pulled my computer thing out of the wall. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, no, so there's definitely lots, there's lots of different subspecies within that category. Yeah, so it was essentially, the category was uh, Phylacolanidae, right? So, and all of these range between, like, the late, uh, like, all the way up until the, the, you know, the late Pleistocene era and possibly much further. So, the official record is, like, forty to 30,000 years, quite possibly to now, cool. <laughs> in my opinion, like, you know, because okay. people are seeing stuff. And the, the sizes were crazy. So, you've got the 190-plus marsupial lion all the way down to a possum size. Wow, okay. But still carnivorous. That's a range. So still hunting, you know, other small mammals and rodents and things like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting That's because it's, sweet. it gives more possibilities of, um, 
additional survivors, right? Yeah, and addition, yeah, just and like same, hybrids and, and, and hybrid species. Because some people do point to the fact that, like that one super harsh critic of the photo that I quoted, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, well, the stripes are clearly in the wrong spot on the body. Well, it's like, well, what if it was another subspecies that had the stripes in a slightly different spot? Possibly. Or I like the, uh, the kind of the light through the forest aspect, too, I because like that makes that sense. Too. We've seen that effect before. Makes me wonder, though, like what it would have been then if it was just the light and it was no stripes, but it was some just a big old cat some kind of but it didn't really look like it had more features of just a cryptid creature of the thylacine or something and even how she described how it was like a snout like a pig that's not very well the thylacine has such a long snout like a wolf yeah that's weird so like the pig snout almost sounds more like like when you look at some of the recreated photo like images like the dipotodon actually yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say Mm -hmm. a little bit like that Mm mm-hmm yeah, like snub like, nose. Yeah. Like the cat, like the marsupial lion in its pictures is more snub nose more so than the thylacine. That's why they were called, well, they're called like a Tasmanian wolf as well is another mm-hmm. kind of sub name for them. And just a couple, same, same deal with them as the um, thylacolio. So there's offshoots of the thylacine into subspecies of the thylacine. Okay. So again, that gives a more higher possibility that additional kind of subspecies could have survived or Mm -hmm. you know had hybrid offspring with others i thought that was kind of interesting and then also the fact that they so it's australia tasmania obviously where it's a you know place of origin but also new guinea like close by new guinea Hmm. so another spot that's obviously crazy remote yeah and with really dense jungle and stuff like that that you know these marsupials were arboreal like they lived in and amongst the trees I don't know. They were saying essentially that the Tasmanian tiger was the last of its any species to survive. So that the ones in New Guinea had died off. The ones in Australia had died off. But I mean, New Guinea is so remote. They're, they're predator, sorry, they're predatory. They're solitary. Like they're like, you know, they're, if they don't want to be seen, they're not going to be seen. Right. No. Hmm. And then of course, like, so there, and there's been sightings like this one isn't crazy recent, but in 1997, it was reported that missionaries near Mount uh, Kassertnez, that can't be spelled correctly anyway in west somewhere in western new guinea they cited multiple thylacines and the local uh karstens maybe Mm, mount karstens yeah that sounds right western new guinea anyway (laughs) they cited multiples though so like not just one so and, and apparently the locals in the area had basically been noticed them for years and Nobody had made any official report mm. that they were still who's alive to say, in New Guinea. Who's to say that there couldn't be a resurgence, too? You know what I mean? Like, well, they could wane and then wax. I'm talking about the moon now. Wax and wane. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. The thing is, too, it's like somebody brought this up in the chat. Um, I don't know if it was on Facebook or where, but somebody mentioned, like, you know, we're in an era right now where obviously tons of species are dying off mm-hmm. at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. So to suggest that more would survive on the one hand sounds kind of crazy, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like if these species are hardy enough to to make it and survive in places that are so intense mm-hmm. and remote, those are the ones that are going to keep going, right? It's not going to be well, the ones exactly. that we know of in and, and they might human actually, populations. They might experience positive benefits from the die-off of other competitive Possibly. species. Possibly. So in that sense, it could actually um, favor some evolutionary wise than others maybe i don't know so there you go so new guinea possible other locations <laughs> we're gonna have, still existing we're gonna have cockroaches and, and big cats yeah, at the end of the world that's it <laughs> cockroaches scorpions and big cats <laughs> scorpions 
Well, they're yeah, they survive anything. Really? Oh yeah. They're so rare though. Yeah, but they're hardy. Are they hardy? Depends where you are. Actually, I saw one in um, at the Barnaby Bench. No <laughs> We're way. gonna call it that now. Yeah, just up uh, up the hill here in our neighborhood. Crazy. When I was little, it was jet black. Freaky man. That is freaky. My sister will attest to that. Wow. We were there together. Crazy. <laughs> we did have one last thing to kind of touch yeah. on here and again this was from Aaron um so he we just asked him a little bit like you know like from that book the Lang and Williams uh, Unnatural History of Panthers we just wanted to know if there was anything we had missed because we went through like you know their synopsis and all their um, available resources on the website but obviously the book would have more because why would you buy it so he said that the only thing that he could say that we didn't really touch on was the Asian golden cat yeah which I had never heard of before. <clears throat> yeah, so it's also called the Asiatic Golden Cat or the Teminx Cat. And it's about a medium-sized wild cat. It's known to reside in the Indian subcontinent and as well in Southeast Asia. And it's been listed as near-threatened right. on uh, the Red List since uh, 2008. Okay. Yeah, so it's basically, it's being threatened by deforestation, hunting pressures, and habitat, lo- habitat loss. Sorry. Sad. Oh, yeah. Same same deal with everything in this yeah. world, eh? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they are much the same as um, bigger predatory cats as far as they're being solitary animals, territorial. There isn't much known about their behaviors um, and breeding habits in the wild because they choose to live in such isolated areas that are very heavily forested. Tough to research. Well, a little bit. A lot of the research that's been done is on ones that are living in captivity just to kind of get an idea of their breeding habits and their maturation rates, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's interesting because they're called the golden cat, but they can be black. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they can climb trees when necessary. Uh, they're very similar. So they're in the same ballpark. So they could represent, because like in that index of sightings, like that big one from pantherpeople.com, there's a lot, like they actually have like um, a reference for size, like an image. So they have like a human, then they have a regular domestic cat, and then they have like what the person saw. So they can put, if it looked like a jaguar, if it looked like a little bit smaller, like a lynx yeah. or like, or whatever. And so a lot of them were on the smaller end of the spectrum. Yeah. And so I was just thinking to myself, like, what could, like, would that just denote? Like, a lot of them I just didn't even include in our episode because of that. Because I thought, like, oh, they'll just be a feral cat, most likely, right? Mm -hmm. Because they can't get quite big, as far as we've heard, right? But, you know, I feel like we, yeah, I feel like this is totally plausible. And it, Well, it's kind of in the area. Oh, it is, Right, yeah. like in terms of like travelers and, and you so know, you people could imagine or whatever. Even potentially like that one theory we had where it was like um, possibly the Dutch or other sort of um, navigators, sea navigators that are picking things up. Like even the Chinese did it, right, with the giraffes and stuff when they were in exploratory missions. Yeah. And then maybe, yeah. Just... Like maybe they, maybe they had a couple of these uh, golden cats to trade yeah. as a fancy pet. And then they, you know, maybe it was a, uh, not Gay Hong. Yeah, Gay Hong, right? Yeah, Gay Hong. Um, who, the, he allegedly went to Australia, made well, it to Australia. Go. Perhaps maybe there was some leftovers even, from the trip. I'm imagining know. even like, uh, not Scarface style. Is <laughs> it Scarface where he had like the big lion or yeah, yeah, tiger, tiger in his backyard? But it's like, like what, if, what if, yeah, like wealthy uh, immigrants are setting up these plantation type palaces and they have like a couple big cats for like exotic pets. I definitely think that that is an angle that makes sense. It and does. I and I feel like the Dutch like the early exploration, well obviously the Chinese were there even earlier though, right? So if and you know, they were transporting animals, we know that for sure, but it was mm. mostly bringing them back to China. Yeah. So, but like even Mike Tyson had a big cat, right? <laughs> <laughs> in the hangover. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I'm pretty sure that was his cat in real life. Really? Like a pet tiger. Cool. I'm fairly certain. But not cool because it's also I don't know horrible. if I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Unless it was like rescued from Siegfried and Roy or something. And Unless it was <laughs> on death row and you're giving it a second chance at life. Like, I don't know. So yeah, the Asian golden cat, that's kind of cool. It, it, it's it's mm-hmm. relatively in the area in terms of trade and stuff like that. Makes more sense that an Asian golden cat would end up in uh, Australia that also can possibly be black sometimes than like a mm-hmm. lynx, like a North American lynx. Oh yeah, which, or, or North, which, American, my, North American mountain lion. Which are never <laughs> black. Like that right, we know of, right? Yeah. Like maybe there's one out there that's super They're random. They're breeding potentially. But potentially. Mm. So that was the other thing I just wanted to end on here. Oh, can I talk about one more thing? Oh that? yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I just wanted to include Go, this cool sure. thing I um, from the mythologies of the ah, Asiatic golden cat. So okay. apparently this is a total side note tangent, but apparently the fur and the flesh of the golden cat has magical properties in mythologies of um, Taiwanese and like in the area. Very cool. So apparently it keeps tigers at bay. And by burning the coats, so like the furs of a golden cat, or eating its flesh will do the trick. But even carrying a single hair has this effect, supposedly. So if you're traipsing through the jungle, make sure you have one of those on here and you'll be saved. Anyway, sorry. Well, <laughs> that's side no, note. that's really cool. And obviously there's a ton of mythologies around these these animals. Well, and spiritual like in, animals, In man. Central South America, too, like the jaguar and stuff like that. Mm. You see that in all kinds of artwork and mm-hmm. um, the... It was actually, um, it was funny. It was, we were, we've both read the book, The Lost City of the Monkey God, and they mm-hmm. were searching for that, uh, the white city in Honduras and stuff like that. But when they actually found one of the caches, they found a bunch of jade jaguars oh, and like figurines right. like that. It wasn't necessarily like monkey figures found right. because it's just such a, such a revered animal. I mean, oh, it is gosh, the apex yeah. predator of basically wherever it is essentially, mm-hmm. right? These, these animals. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to mention was that, uh, I kind of just loosely looked into it, but like we had the idea thrown out that maybe it's all of the above, right? Maybe yeah. it's it's species that have survived yeah. and gone into modern times and released cats that come from the early 1800s or much earlier with Dutch or Chinese or whatever, as well as cats from World War II and all of the above. Marsupials and these big cats could possibly breed, interbreed. Oh, okay. Like from what I've looked at, there's n- I haven't seen anything. It's cursory glance, but if anyone out there is a biologist... Or a zoologist. A zoologist. Or even a cryptozoologist. There, there's, there's allegedly kangaroo cat hybrids that have been done and stuff like that, but it's possible from what I've looked at. So that's just kind of interesting. So it's like... The one question I have, are these... Would they remain? Are these... Is the offspring able to breed and right. reproduce, or is right. it like a mule where it's just that's the end of right. it? Right. And we, I mean, no, yeah, no way to know. Mm-hmm. But you'd at least potentially have multiple options in terms of like, um, if it's you know, escaped pumas or is it escaped mm-hmm. whatever's and is, do, do, are they able to breed with survived thylacines or are they able to breed with something else? Right. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of mixing and matching in this sort of cryptozoology realm that could potentially work. But I just thought that was kind of interesting because they are marsupials, these ancient yeah. predators of Australia, mm-hmm. but they're all mammals and they're all predators. So they all match up. And the aspect of the trees was the same. They all live in amongst the trees. They're arboreal, all of these animals. So they would be mating in the same sort of areas, potentially with the same sort of practices. Cool. And I believe that there's big cats. I believe. Yeah. Well, we want to believe. <laughs> yeah, I want to believe. Well, anyways, that kind of wraps up our bonus episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And we want to know what you guys think of all this stuff. So Definitely. reach out. Yeah. Send us, a, shoot us an email into the portal mailbox at gmail.com where you can, every, you know where you can reach us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and come chat with us wherever. Mm-hmm. And as usual, we will uh, be back on Sunday. Yeah.
So until then, on mm-hmm. into the portal. Network. You can check out more shows like it at oddfixnetwork.com.